Welcome to the Character Arc Podcast. I'm Richard Bertelson. And I'm Ted Hong. Each week we talk about a movie that we just saw, and this week we're talking about Toy Story 4. Woody? Why am I alive? <gasps> you are a toy. You belong to Bonnie. These are your friends. Oh, Woody, I have a question. Um, well, actually, not just one. I have all of them. So, how this will work is we will start by giving each a short synopsis of the film, which will be the first time that either of us knows how the other felt about the movie. And then after that, uh, we'll go into a general discussion about what we liked, what we didn't like, and then we'll go into changes we would make if we were the ones making the movie. And at the end, we'll give our final thoughts and maybe a favorite scene. Uh, so, starting off with the synopsis. All right, I'll go first. So, uh, a sheriff deals with loss by pouring himself into his work, chases down an abomination that should not exist to be a slave <laughs> in his family, and finds himself in an antiquity store where a boss lady has her dummies chase him down to rip out his voice box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, mine is kind of a two-parter. For the first half of this movie, a newly created toy begs for the sweet release of death. And in the second half, that same toy is held hostage by an organ-stealing mob boss. Awesome. <laughs> it sounds like this movie's dark, and you know what? It's not really dark-dark, but it is pretty serious. It deals with real themes of right. loss and belonging and independence or lack thereof uh even existential like <laughs> <laughs> existence is pain but it's also fun yeah no it was great um so the new character forky is a uh, just comprised of trash right and it was just awesome seeing him just lob himself over into the trash can at every every opportunity he could <laughs> Um, I yeah, think the, he literally utters lines like "I shouldn't exist" and "How am I alive?" He does say "How I am, how am I alive?" I don't know about the first one though. <laughs> what am I? Trash? <laughs> Trash? Obviously, we both really enjoy this movie. I think it's awfully reminiscent of the like the quality of children's movies back in back in the day, where you know, like you just mentioned, the stakes and like some really mature themes were were. I mean, you know, that's nothing short of Pixar, I suppose. Although there have been a couple of flops, but this one it was like really tight. In fact, I, I think this is better than the the previous one, Toy Story three, which I mean also touched upon mature themes and very similar, but this one was definitely better executed. What I liked about this one versus Toy Story three is that it had those very serious themes, but I felt like Toy Story three just kind of was just depressing. Yeah. And this movie has a, a touch of sadness to it for sure, but it it ends with a much more positive message that makes you makes that journey of going through all these moments of the different characters who who don't know what their purpose is or who try to cling to something that they've already lost or you know just really give themselves to a lost cause even but because they navigate it and they figure out their purpose and you realize that there's more than just one way to get what you want or to be to be meaningful to yourself and to the world Whereas I felt like Toy Story 3 was just everyone you know will eventually move on and love is meaningless, you will be abandoned. Right. <laughs> even even the solution to that where they uh, were given off to Bonnie, it did not feel as as sharp in terms of like the resolution, right? It was like it was like it was like okay, we kind of saw that coming, 
but it I don't know it didn't quite hit me in the feels whereas this one was definitely more I think one of the reasons for that is because in that one it's more about Woody and the other toys just accepting that that's the only option they have right whereas this one Woody makes a very conscious decision he's like I can keep doing this thing that I've been doing and feeling kind of empty which is trying to please Bonnie even though Bonnie will never be Andy and Bonnie will never treat him like Andy and he will never view Bonnie like Andy so he's just kind of He's trying to make her happy, and it's, it comes from a good place. That's why he pursues Forky so much. But he himself decides that actually there is another way. I can find purpose in my life by pursuing an entirely different path than just trying to attach myself to someone else. And Toy Story 3 was just him trying to attach himself to Andy, even though Andy grew up. And he decided to move on, but only because he literally had no other choice. He didn't decide to. He well, just accepts it. I think that was the whole thing of Toy Story 3 was, like, acceptance, right? Um, especially, I don't know if you've seen that cut where someone has cut off the ending of Toy Story 3. So it's the part where they're all, like, about about to... They're going to burn? They're about to burn. They're all holding hands <laughs> like they just accepted it. It fades to black and says the end. And then the music <laughs> starts up. <laughs> uh, and that's great. I mean, that is essentially, you know, it's accepting that things change, yeah. right? So for this one, uh, I think why I, I think why this particularly stuck in this one, there was definitely more of Woody being the active protagonist, whereas you know having a passive protagonist is kind of uh, it's a little lackluster. Whereas in this case, he was everything was just what, everything that he was doing. He went to chase uh, Forky. Um, he decided to go look in the antiquity store to rekindle with uh, Re- Bo Peep. With Bo Peep, right? He decided to freak out when Bonnie walked in through the doors, and he decided to go, he, you know, through the plan in the wind and just kind of walked out in the open. Yeah, a lot of it was just his choice, and I think, yeah, that's the whole movie. It's it's his choice. He he moves from he moves from scene to scene, kind of. He is very much propelling the movie forward. He jumps into the backpack to go to school with Bonnie because he knows that she's scared. He helps her find uh, supplies to make Forky. He brings Forky back home. Well, she brings Forky back home, but he tries to integrate him into the toy society instead of letting him kill himself. (laughs) (laughs) And and then just every step of the way, when, when Forky's lost, he makes it his goal to bring it back. And then, you know, even though, for kind of the first interesting character moment is when he decides to go look for Bo Peep because he is so driven on satisfying what Bonnie needs because that's his purpose. That's, he even says in the movie, this is all I have. Right. He, it's, I don't think it's that satisfying for him. I just think he's, he's lost. He's he, he doesn't, going through the motions. Yeah. Right. And so that was the first time that he kind of did something for himself. And I kind of like that this movie doesn't characterize that as always a bad thing because right. too often kids' movies, they... They encourage dependence. They encourage, like, good for everyone else. And never the fact that sometimes in life, actually, finding your own way and your own purpose, that might be better for lots of people as opposed to just you doing what you think you're supposed Supposed to to do. do. Right. And I think that's uncommon. Uh, And I don't think it's on purpose uncommon in kids' movies. I think that they have good intentions of sharing and giving and being, you know, dutiful and stuff. But in real life, that stuff is all good. But you can kind of lose yourself if you don't ever really recognize what's going on in you. Right. So I would give it props props just for being a a somewhat unique message for the fourth part of a series. But it makes sense. I mean, if you look at the trajectory of, like, the the stories at this point, because he has... 
he has essentially lost. He's lost everything. He's lost. Yeah, I mean, he has lost everything. But I'm looking for that movie. core, <laughs> that core part where he's lost. Because obviously, a huge part of his life was Andy, right? Mm-hmm. And he even said that he had been built prior, like around 1950s, mm-hmm. right? Or you know, manufactured. And this and the movie takes place. I mean, they don't really quite say, but presumably in the 90s, right? So up until now, so he's had other times before but this really stuck with him and after that has now finished he's kind of like he's left to his own device and adding to woody's character uh, this is kind of a separate note i'm really glad that they kept like the heart of woody because that was actually when i first watched toy story one what really made me love the movie was woody and his kind of selfishness <laughs> and the first one no it just seemed like oh yeah he was selfish but <laughs> There was and a, they even start the movie this way, that way, where you see it in him, though he's still grown. The other movies aren't ignored. It's right. just you can still see that struggle in him, where he has selfish moments, but he he reins himself in. So it's kind of like he's a he's a person who has grown over the last three movies, but he's still recognizable. He hasn't completely changed. Right. But you know, in the beginning, like I think everyone has felt that where you know uh, some newcomer is making the rounds, and uh, you're kind of like left to the sidelines and. You know, I think uh, kids feel that. Um, oh, yeah, you know? for sure. So, but it was just like he was still trying to do the right thing despite having made that mistake, right? Yeah. But that's that's what makes that character, the, his character qualities come out. You make a mistake and he decides to kind of write it. Right. It, it's more. It's a more realistic portrayal of the character. He's, he's not perfect, but everyone makes mistakes. He just tries to do right by it once it happens. Right. Um, I want to jump back on... I don't remember exactly what you said now, but it reminded me of what I think is pretty thematic, at least in the first half of the movie. I think the movie talks a lot about parenthood, the way that he he feels so responsible. And there's even weird phrases that are used like, oh, I watched them grow up and then they disappear from my life and like I feel like Your this kid. emptiness. Right. right. It's, I it's, have my kid, my he child, is, my child. My kid. Woody is describing feelings that parents feel. That yeah. he's there for them as they grow up and they change and they grow and it's wonderful and they become, they're so proud of them. But then over time, they have they do all these things that you don't get to see and experience. Right. And it's mirrored in the fact that he's trying to watch out and teach Forky things. This is his child as much as Bonnie is his child or actually more realistically, Andy, Andy. was his child and Bonnie was kind of like a replacement for him and not a satisfying replacement. Exactly. He needed to essentially reclaim what in the real world would be like his younger days or a new adventure where he's independent i think the movie i think the movie's just a, a allegory for for parenthood, parenthood yeah. especially the the end the later stages of parenthood on another side note kind of going back to woody's character i'm kind of glad that they went with the version where he's good I don't know if you know. Oh, the original. The original. Yeah, he was supposed to be the Woody. villain. Essentially, he was supposed to be the villain. It's a better choice that they went with. It this. would have been a much more cliche movie, the original Toy Story, if they'd done that, and it wouldn't have been as heartwarming, really. Right, and I know that a lot of that is attributed to uh, Lassiter, despite having that, you know, stuff that he. He doesn't have a great name these days. Right. For, yeah. <laughs> for non-specifically, not for filmmaking reasons per se, but his rather personal. his his practices. Yeah. Um, which I believe some are actually workplace practices. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Especially. I mean, what? It's, if you're not completely familiar with it, look it up. It's a. It's definitely like a Me Too thing. Yeah. He's an asshole. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a question. Do you think I felt what? Like I definitely laughed. I definitely thought the movie was funny. 
Do you think it was too serious, though? I don't, like, I don't personally think it was too serious. Let me rephrase that. Do you think that a kid would enjoy this as much as an adult would enjoy it? It's funny. That's actually one of the points that I wrote down uh, to uh, mention later. In this viewing, we were surrounded by a lot of people with their, their kids. Um, I can tell you the person next to me, the kid next to me, uh, she... I don't know if she got it entirely. I don't think she has to, right? Right. I think the the colors and the characters and how animated they are still captured her attention. Um, but I don't think she understood the gravity of the story. I mean, she wasn't that much younger. She might have been five, I guess. So, uh, so was it too serious for a kids' movie? See, I don't know. I can tell you that from like the '90s kids' movies, there was a lot of depth to some of those um, some of those movies. And I know I didn't get it at the time. And upon reviewing it. Uh, revisiting it um i was like wow there's a lot more to this than i thought so i i think i think it might have been i think it went over a couple of kids heads okay so if you compare it to other animated films like okay we saw a trailer for angry birds 2 and just watching <laughs> everything it was just everything was so on the nose and i i'm pretty sure all the kids responded to that more fondly right because it was just so clear and so just to the point. Whereas this, there's uh, this offers a little bit more depth. That's know. exactly kind of what I was wondering about. It's not that it's not necessarily that the themes are serious. It's that this is like a a fantastically written script. The dialogue has, is loaded with subtext. When they're talking about one thing, they're talking about all these other emotions that people have, and sometimes don't express that well. And there's conflict between between best friends when it's Woody and Buzz, or between a former, you know stand-ins for lovers when it's Bo Peep or uh, Woody, or stand-ins for kids when it's Andy, Bonnie, or Forky. And it's not just stand-ins for these things. Like, these, this, is a, this is an adventure about toys, but every, every line of dialogue you could place into a very serious movie about relationships like these. And they have all of these meanings, and particularly if you have, well, everyone has experiences like this, but you can probably draw parallels to ways that you felt in the past. And that is an incredibly difficult feat. And I guess I guess it's possible that it could just go over a kid's head and not really be a problem. But I wonder if there's too, I wondered if there was too much of that, if a kid would find it boring. Like I said, I found it very I did find it very funny. But I also found it super engaging. I don't think it jokes constantly. Right. Like there are stretches of, of drama. Here's... And they're very well written dramas, so they had my attention, but would they have attention of someone who hadn't had my life experience? Well, here's what I'm thinking is that part of it is that they understand that the target audience of these movies have kind of aged. The original target audience, right? Because like, you know, you watch the first one and a lot of people have already kind of have they have these attachments to this entire franchise. So people from the, the originals are going to come back to see this. So I think it's a little geared toward that. And just enough for kids to not be so... I don't think any kid was bored. I don't think they <clears throat> fully understood it. Um, they can, I can tell you that they, they responded to when things were sad because uh, the little girl next to me was like wondering why the little girl was sad. Uh, any, I mean, there were a few... Um, or even some of the characters. Lots of side girls in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of side girls. Um, so yeah, um, I, it's, I don't think they completely understood it, but they were still engaged, right? I don't think they were bored. So There's also, I thought one thing that was handled super well in this movie is the horror element. Oh my god, I which, love the horror element. Which I actually think was perfectly handled in the sense that I don't know that it would be that creepy for kids, because... Even the horror is done in a way that's like you have to, 
you have to have seen some creepy shit to find this creepy, I guess. Oh, <laughs> I loved it so that scene, much. There's this scene where he's in the antique store, and he's found by this doll who who seems very friendly, and she's kind of being wheeled around by a, a, a ventriloquist, ventriloquist dummy. And the ventriloquist dummy has just this this creepy lack of expression at all times. And she seems really friendly, but as the scene goes on... It's the contrast. And she's trying to be very welcoming to Woody, it starts to be very clear that she intends on keeping him there forever and probably harvesting his voice box. Yes, harvest. <laughs> but it's something its something that she doesn't expressly say. It's something that you tease out through the scene and it just makes you more and more uncomfortable. And especially as you realize the ventriloquist dummy, there's many of them and they just kind of pop up. They, they don't just pop up, they just kind of flop about. Like there's just... <laughs> Hardly able to control their bodies, because when you first see, uh, like, uh, the when they first introduced, um, uh, her name's Gabby, Gabby, right? Yeah. Um, she's in the the stroller. Yes. And the dummy was like, "Is this some really absurdly short old man? Because he's just like dragging his feet, like he's like poisoned or something. He's just kind of like, Ugh. and then we see the characters in there, especially this one shot where he turns his he turns to look back, but his head just kind of like flops over. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but I love the way that scene was constructed because one, I think one of my favorite aspects about animated films is that there's a lot of showing and not telling. I know it's like the golden rule for any sort of story. But this, they really, they really carried this out well because when they first did it, and I had no idea what was going on, they looked... Oh, the dummy looked at a reflection of Woody's back. Yeah. And in the reflection, it was just like a, a, the frame of it was just on his uh, pull his string. Folk, his folk I was right like, now. why are they looking at that, right? And then later, they just kind of like slowly uh, introduced what she really wanted, enough to give that presence of wanting to harvest someone's <laughs> organs. I actually want to stop this for a second. Uh, we might as well take this time because the show don't tell is very important to film uh, for anyone who's just kind of interested in, in some of the things that we talk about and where, we, where our opinions come from. Some people might think that film is all about the dialogue, but not really. Film is about... What, what you see on screen. A stage play is about the dialogue. That is where someone orates to you uh, their, their feelings and their emotions. And even then, subtext is important, but it's, the dialogue's front and center. A film, the ideal film, tells you a story by what you see, it's what you deduce, because that's what engages you in a movie, is that if you can figure something out without it telling you, then half the work of you being glued to that screen is done because now it's kind of like in your brain it's just an automatic thing of being like a puzzle not to mention the fact that human beings in general don't walk around spouting their emotions but lots of us get cues from our friends and from our lovers and from our families about when they're upset or when they're really happy by noticing the little things that they do and so that's what the goal of movies are and so yeah as you described the scene it's a lot of it's not talking about harvesting yeah, the voice box. Exactly. It's seeing where their focus is. It's her addressing her own and what works and what doesn't work about it. It's the way that the dummies kind of close in on them. <laughs> that you get all these impressions that this is actually a terrifying situation. She's super nice. It's just, you know, you, you get this unsettling feeling. Right. And that's what I mean by the contrast. Like, she seems super genial. Um, congenial? Yeah, genial? yeah. Wow, why am I at a loss for words? Anyway, and then the dummies are just looming over the, the <laughs> stroller. It's just like, oh, God. It's flopping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're just flopping about. Yeah, I mean, okay, so the whole show don't tell. I think this is why 
when you see those trailers for kids, like uh, Angry Birds 2, there's just a lot of explaining. And I think that's where you get a lot of eyes rolling. It's like, oh, okay, all right, that was just super, super cheap. But I don't know. You don't have to... If the movie doesn't ask you to participate, then you're going to not participate. Even if you don't consciously do that, your brain's going to shut off because it's not asking you to figure something out. Actually, one of Pixar's rules is the 2 plus 2 equals 4 rule, which oh, is yeah. you never give them 4. You give them 2, two and you four. give them 2, and they figure Every 4 out. I love that. That's <laughs> honestly one of my my favorites because it's very it's it's how you would set up a mystery you give them everything but they have to figure it out and it's pretty delightful that we can talk about pretty integral parts of screenwriting and filming for a movie that's for all ages that it's not it doesn't have to be this this serious awful drawn out or boring long thing it can be this fun adventure which we should talk a little bit about some of the funnier moments, I guess, because we obviously both like this movie yeah, a lot. <laughs> obviously. Um, some of the funnier moments. Uh, before we get to that, actually, one little point, because mm-hmm. I, was, I was thinking about uh, what my favorite scene would be, and as I thought about it, it reminded me of something where, because a lot of humor, you'd have to like subvert expectations. And they do this well. They don't do it just to subvert expectations, which, again, I'm going to attribute to a lot of animated movies for kids nowadays. It's just like, oh, well, that that's kind of... It was just... It's all just cheap. Whereas this one, I don't know. Like, they, they paste it well to get you along for the ride. Uh, so the scene that I'm talking about is when they're trying to get the key to open up the cabinet. Um <laughs> And this also ties in, ties in with another. I'm just watching one. the scene in my like all the whole thing, which is actually a fairly long scene, but it's it's so enjoyable. It's absolutely <laughs> enjoyable. I definitely feel. And it even I, comes back like almost ten minutes later, yeah. where you see what actually happened. Yes. <laughs> but that's that's my point is that it's subverted, but it's done appropriately. Um, but I was going to tie this into uh, character development because there are, are a great number of toys in this, right? Yeah. And yet, it's still, the whole entire movie is tightly interwoven and just, it's well paced. It would be easy, given the fact that it has pretty much the entire cast of all three previous movies in it, it would be very easy to get bogged down in this two and a half hour long movie so they're all included, which they are all included, but never wastefully or forcefully so. Right. And they've introduced new characters, right? Right. So... Yeah, and they managed to do it without making it feel like they're slowing down, without making it feel like you're wasting your time. And I think in that scene, it quickly caricaturizes those characters. So you get the you get a glimpse of their personality and what they're capable of. Are you talking about Key and Peele? Yeah, not just Key and Peele, but of all, all, all of the characters. All of them there. The yeah. dummies. I mean, you see them, <laughs> they're quick, and they're like so... They can contort themselves. <laughs> that when they were trying to go through the hall, they're just like... <laughs> it's just like... Ah, uh, trying to think of... Like a flood coming through. <laughs> yeah, it looks. It does. It looks like it. It looks kind of vaguely like zombies breaking through a door. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Just like nothing is gonna stop them. Yeah. So they just all these little things are quickly shown. So sorry, going back to the funny moments or the best scene. I, I don't know. Do you have one off the top of your head? I mean, I would go when right before Buzz does actually get the key, where Ducky and Bunny are actually talking about their plan to do it, and they present three plans. <laughs> the first plan. And it just cuts. It's like one of those things where a movie shows you instead of that they're just telling the people. So it cuts to them just sitting on the shelf. The old lady who runs the antique shop comes up and she goes, oh, where did you guys come from? You're so adorable. 
And then Ducky and Bunny just latch onto her face <laughs> and attack her. And then it cuts back and you realize that that wasn't the plan that they did. And Buzz Lightyear and Bo Peep are like, yeah, we're not going to do that. And then they say they have another plan, which <laughs> involves them throwing a baseball to distract her, but then still just latching onto her face. <laughs> and then their third plan shows this woman, which you would think you can't tell the same joke three times. And the third time... You know it's going to be the same thing, but it teases it out for so long. The woman closes out the drawer, locks the door, drives home, makes herself dinner, takes a bubble bath, is sleeping in her bed, and then it just shows them rise up like demons over her bed. <laughs> uh, and then you actually, it's not right away, but it's quite a, it's a, it's a little ways later, several scenes in between, when after Woody and Bo, and Bo Peep, I guess Bo Peep wasn't with the others, when their side of the plan to get onto the cabinet itself is resolved, they figure out how they're going to do it. They go enlist Keanu Reeves and all that stuff. I'm pretty sure all that was between this and then. Buzz runs up with the key, and he's like, oh, how did you get it? And the old woman just literally walks by them and sets it directly okay. next to him. And so they spent all this time in this movie trying to figure out how to get the key and having the most absurd plans possible. And of course... It was it just was handed just a, to them, yeah. essentially. That's what I was saying about the subverting expectations. Yeah, I was going to say that was extremely well done. This kind of goes with my favorite scene. Has It really doesn't tie into the movie. It's, yeah, I think I know what it is, but it's great. Yeah. Just... <laughs> All of that predicates <laughs> the scene that I absolutely love, which was you get a glimpse of them in their imagination. So uh, Ducky and Bunny are talking about what they're going to do next because they, uh, they had just finished... Helping uh, all the toys that were on the the, um, the carnival game, the carnival game, yeah, get sent off to uh, taken off by a bunch of kids, and so the they're trying to figure out the next step. So Ducky and Bunny are saying, "We have an idea," <laughs> and it just turns out to just be. <laughs> Uh, well, hold on. Bunny is the one with the laser eyes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so they hop over the, the, the table, and they're shooting the... Uh, Bunny is shooting his laser eyes at the carnival attendant. And so they're chasing him down. <laughs> I, can't, I can't even explain this. So they, they... He's still shooting his laser eyes, but he's missing. And then Ducky, all of a sudden... Ducky and Bunny start growing to monstrous proportions... And Ducky starts having fire-breathing abilities. And then it cuts back to them, and they're just kind of acting out whatever they're seeing in their heads, and it's just the best. And the animation is so great on that, because yes. as they get Godzilla-sized, like, you just see like their plush bodies just like rippling. Rippling, yes. <laughs> oh, man, the animation on it's this. unbelievable at times. Do you remember when just humans prior to this was just one of the scariest aspects of Toy Story. Yeah. Like, the toys were more accepting. Like, I was, I was like, oh, yeah, those are toys. Because they're Those fake. are not people. It's, it's the Uncanny Valley, which is where if your brain kind of rejects something that looks kind of like a person, but your brain knows it's not, it's, uh, it's actually a real issue in animation because I actually had a... a I read something at some point, it was a long time ago, so I'm sorry I can't attribute it at the moment, but there was a theory that it comes from humans, an innate desire for humans to stay away from a corpse to protect against diseases. Because a lot of times, if you want the worst example of the Uncanny Valley, the Polar Express, all of those people look, they look realistic, but they're horrifying for some reason, and it's, it's this idea that 
And uh, what animation has done, especially computer animation over time, is they've realized that you have to give unusual proportions to humans, or you have to insert a lot of flaws because that that sort of glassy skin that CG can make is very disturbing to human brains. And actually, I would say that the humans are perfectly acceptable, like you said in this movie, but they're the least realistic looking thing in it. Because some of the environments, and even some of the textures on the toys, like fabrics and stuff, are like photorealistic. That's, that was the point I was about to make. The rain mm-hmm. scene, oh my gosh, it was just, it was so good. Um, just like the reflective surfaces, and yeah. whenever waters, uh, waters, whenever water would just like bounce off uh, from the from the driveway. So mm-hmm. there was just a lot of dynamic, it, the whole scene was dynamic, without saturating whatever you were looking at um so yeah very photorealistic yeah because before the humans they had like chiclets for teeth or whatever the heck they were i don't know and they were all like uh, uh." (laughs) just very creepy but yeah this is probably one of the particularly for environments and it's hard to say on the toys because the toys aren't real so it's like it was kind of hard but sometimes if you look at buzz lightyear he looks plastic. He looks like a plastic. That's I, funny. That's what I, I was just thinking in my head I right now. I had a Buzz Lightyear toy when I was a kid, and that's what it looked like. I guess just what I was saying is that you, I'm pretty sure you could put this up against any animated film ever made, and it is one of the f- finest examples of just really good CG. It's probably better CG than exists in live-action movies that are trying to fit CG into it. Like, you've probably seen CG backgrounds that look fake. The Star Wars prequels, for example. And here, I know that that was 10-plus years ago now, so it's not necessarily a fair comparison. But still, you this kind of makes me believe that you could make an entirely CG background movie, and it would be very difficult for someone to tell that, they, that the actors weren't in real places. I, I feel like I can agree for the most part. I, I did appreciate the, the small details... Um, so like scrape marks or dirt stains and, and I, I don't think the movie is 100% that way by the way I think there are some times when it's a little more cartoony than others but like the vehicles for example like if you look at the camper hmm. particularly the exterior of them right, or that right. night shot that you described like yeah. where but there are times like in the kids rooms and stuff where it looks a little more and I don't know if that's a conscious choice right uh, because I think when the I think when the tone was darker the scene was more realistic huh yeah well, I wanted to change it to a different aspect. So we're obviously saying a lot of good things about it. Was there anything that you did not like? I tell you, it'd be very difficult. Uh, let me think about it for just a second, because I'm pretty sure... Um, not that I did not like specifically, because the movie's not very long, and it is... I was engaged the whole time. The characters are moving everything forward. I like them. I believe in them. Um, I think... I, I'm not going to talk about it now, but we'll probably jump back to it. I did really like Bo Peep's character for... For reasons I already discussed, though, with Woody's character. Uh, I, it's just, it doesn't have wasted moments. So, so that's a problem? No, no, <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying, is that, like, it's hard, to, it's hard to say I didn't like something about it. I probably would say that it didn't need the entire cast of the previous movies. Like, hmm. Jessie doesn't need to exist in this movie. She does very little, and I'm glad she does very little, because she doesn't really need to be in it. So it's kind of like you had you had Jesse and Rex and Slinky Dog serves a plot purpose at some point, but I mean just the you know the the piggy bank and all them like they don't they don't need to exist. You could just as easily say Bonnie never got those ones, or it's been nine years or whatever, so you don't need to know what happened to them. And you could have had fewer characters, but at the same time, the movie doesn't 
it doesn't force them on you, yeah. so it's also fine. See, I was going to say, because I think without their presence, it would just fear, fear, it would feel entirely bare bones. Like, too little? It, too little. Um, I can see that. Because, like, the whole world was established, and having those characters populate it um, really makes it not reminiscent. Mm-hmm. But it, without them, it wouldn't feel whole. And it was just enough to see them. And that's what I was saying about like having such a large cast. But they're relegated enough to where they aren't left out and they aren't they still serve a purpose, right? They're not dragging it yeah, down. Exactly. That was a very that's a very legitimate um thing to not like. Um I can understand that. For me, I don't think it was something that I didn't like, but I can say that it felt a little odd. But looking back on it now, I think I I really enjoyed it. Was there was when um Forky decided to launch himself from the RV and Woody jumped after him and there was just this long walk of them kind of like sharing stories and uh, getting to know each other essentially well really just Forky getting to know Woody and because it felt it felt kind of odd because the rest of the beginning of the movie was a little bit fast-paced mm-hmm. right it was very like boom 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 and then you get to that aspect and they're just walking and they're just kind of sh- exchanging stories and then it picks back up mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that I don't like it. I felt it was very necessary. It just felt a little bit different. It's the, I think it's the first time. It's the first time that I realized this movie was commenting on parenthood because that's when he really talks about Andy and him growing up and stuff like that. And then also, you the scene ends with him or begins with him refusing to carry Forky, and then ends with him carrying Forky very much the way you would carry a child. Like Forky's even got one hand around him as if you have you know when you have your kid on your side. So. I agree that it is a slowdown for the movie, but it it wasn't it wasn't bad. That's no, what no, I mean. No, no, like, yeah, I'm not yeah, saying yeah. I'm hating it, it. It it but it it's the first time I was looking for that theme, and so it kind of set the stage for the movie for me. Okay, this is what Woody's problem is. Woody's an empty nester. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I can name things that should be bad, but they're not. Okay. Such <laughs> um, as Buzz Lightyear's entire journey in this is by coincidence and chance and stupidity, <laughs> but. It's funny enough that it doesn't matter. It's it's it's. I just I don't think it's a mistake. It's supposed to be a joke. I mm-hmm. think the people who wrote it know that he is moving blindly through this world, and so it's funny. But really, a character like that who makes no independent choices for themselves, he he essentially uses his uh, pre-recorded messages as a toy to tell him what to do next, and it just randomly gets him too <laughs> close to the right place. His inner voice. And it's it's dumb, but it's funny, so it's fine. So I'm going to change uh, speeds for a second, because uh, instead of talking about the movie, do you have any personal accounts with like any favorite toys or moments to where you feel like you destroyed a toy and your whole soul was just crushed? I don't know if I could say I have specific moments. I mean, I had favorite toys for sure. I have one in my room right now. I have Snow Bear, my white teddy bear, who I had with me all the time. Uh-huh. And I still have him now. And I don't have a lot of my toys from when I was a kid. I did for I did into my late teens and early 20s even, just in a box somewhere. But I got rid of most of them. But I still, at 32, have never gotten rid of that teddy bear. Hmm. It's not out in any prominent place, but I still have it. It's very nice. So uh, I, I think it's no secret that I really love Spider-Man. Uh, for me, I had this action figure. It was my first one. I remember uh, it was bought from Kmart, and I loved the thing just so much. 
And I took it everywhere. I did so many things with it because there were so many things. He was he was bendable at every <laughs> joint. His body was like held by a rubber band inside that had like three pieces. Anyway, so there was one time, I forget how young I was. I'm hoping seriously young because I was seriously devastated when the rubber band snapped within him. Yeah. And he broke. They told G.I. Joe's together. Or yeah. Anything, yeah. And he broke in three pieces. I remember <laughs> crying. And I was like, no, he died. Like, I, like, I stupid but it crushed me and uh adding a little bit more to this i actually buried the toy <laughs> because oh, i was just like no i can't believe he died um super young super stupid anyway but i got another one and i've <laughs> just replaceable to I've, you <laughs> like it wasn't like soon after it was actually years because i was like i really missed that toy and i think it was like i don't know sometime in middle school there was another version it wasn't the same because uh the ink for the webbing was different um it was around the head um the the ink to the form of the spider web was a lot tighter this one was a little bit uh wider and i think it's because of the 1990s cartoon so they it was the same design it was just the webs were a little bit bigger and i still know it but that's how i mean like i this is how much <laughs> this I is how much it. you it's emblazoned in your yeah. memory. I was like, the, it was like the webs were perfect <laughs> on the first one, on this one it's just, just like <laughs> that poor toy. I know. <laughs> ah. Ah. I mean, the one you replaced with and didn't like as much. <laughs> oh, he's sitting up on a bookshelf. He's he's got a good view. So, um, uh, well, can we touch on something that's probably should be horrifying about the movie? Sure. When the toys are manipulating the RV and could very yes. well kill the entire family. That unicorn. Was it a unicorn? Yeah. <laughs> let's, get, like, let's get the dad arrested. Let's, let's get the dad arrested. Uh, yeah, no, that was... They were pulling was... on the brake pedals and I guess they were acting as the GPS, uh, which the movie toys a little too much with the idea that they're... Toy Story's always been kind of unclear. Do they have to go limp when someone sees them do they just choose to do that if you tear too much into that it's gonna tear the whole series apart because right. obviously at the end of the first one woody doesn't speak no he does speak to sorry sid, um, sid. he doesn't talk oh he does at the very end at the very end, end yeah and then but then why does someone like forky go limp when he's seen by a kid maybe they're just pre-programmed to be that way and then when they but mature, they can break free of it. They when can they, like, yeah, artificial intelligence style gain true self actualization. <laughs> they become sentient because the, they can feel these things. The humans don't see the toys move really ever in this movie. But there's multiple scenes, not only that one, but where they speak aloud and a, a a human can understand them. Uh, like when Buzz keeps trying to use his button press oh, yeah. to get them to to get the dad to drive to the carousel and eventually, or drive back to the the antique shop eventually just says you left your backpack at the antique shop and the kid realizes it so that stuff's just unclear but most of the times it's used it's used to pretty funny effect so it's fine it's yeah. something you kind of it's ignore. acceptable yeah i mean they they do it within the realm of like for at least with buzz he was not within sight he was in being, right. about to be placed in the cabinet and as for woody they were all tricking sid into thinking he would he had lost his mind so that kind of like covers that <laughs> so he could, they couldn't be found out. Yeah. So they're allowed to traumatize a child. They're just not allowed to. They're just not allowed to be their actual friends. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> it's a toy Story for you. I did. Th I touched on this when we were talking about Woody's character, but I liked 
I really liked Bo Peep's character because it goes to what I said about how it's rare for a children's movie or most movies to really push independence as something that's a good thing or that's at least an it doesn't say it's better than anything but it says it's at least equally as valid yeah bo peep doesn't need a child or she doesn't even need specific other toys she seems like she's on the move but she knows what she wants she is happy with it happy and she's very resourceful she can take care of herself she can do any number of things the way that she wants to do them and she doesn't have something missing she doesn't feel it's not like because sometimes when you get a character like that then the ultimate message for that character is oh but you didn't have you know a kid yet or you didn't have a wife or you didn't have a husband so therefore you're lesser and you realize that that's your character arc no she was always self-assured and she even though they did she did connect with woody at the end that was never something you thought she needed she right. she was perfectly happy with him going back or staying and i think she you know because she's a real independent person and i think in the modern day particularly after we're past look in the modern era you don't if you don't fit within these norms then you are lesser yeah, it's like right there's a lot of non-traditional ways in which people live their lives because we don't live in a society anymore where you're certainly not where you're told who you must marry or, or that kids may or may not be a good choice for someone and maybe someone lives with someone but isn't married. Maybe someone, you know, maybe there's different organizations to how that goes. And so often all of these very, very cliche old world things are seen as the, the win scenario for right. life. Whereas, no, actually, if you are comfortable with who you are and you can take care of yourself, yes, connections with other humans are super important and everyone should have them, but they come in a lot of different varieties. And anyone can lead the right person to happiness. I think with this installment, as kind of foreshadowed in the third one, is that you know things come and go. There's a there's a passing of time, right? People come and go, and they followed up on that. I there was one scene when they actually started revealing. They started catching up. It was like in the park, and Woody was talking about how he had a kid and she didn't have a kid. I was concerned that it would somehow gravitate to like, well, you need to go to another kid. Or you just didn't have a good kid. No, no, they talked about like, you know, I served my purpose, right? right? They said that to Woody specifically, which you can also allude to the fact that it was also, it also applies to Bo Peep, yeah. right? She was there to help, I don't remember the sister's name for Andy. Yeah, me neither. To just help her get through her fear of the dark, mm-hmm. right? Mission accomplished. And even, and this was even, she even utters it in the beginning. It's like, oh yeah, I don't need it anymore. Yeah. So now you kind of go do your own thing. And it's okay. There's nothing wrong with being done with something. Yeah. You're now on to the next stage. And the movie doesn't either... It also doesn't... It never judges anyone for their life choices. Right. Because as Gabby... We, we talked about Gabby as this horror villain. But actually, she, she yeah, has a very not. real motivation that's very touching. And hers is to to serve that purpose to someone. To be that for, for a child. Because she never had that opportunity. And that's what she wants in her life. And the movie is also very accepting of that being what she wants. And I want to add, I feel like this is the first one where there's not really a villain. No. Villain. Like, sure, initially she's, uh, she's, she's displayed as being the, the villain, but she ends up not, she doesn't have any ill will, even after she was discarded. Right. Right. Because uh, in Toy Story 2, there is a very clear villain, uh, Kelsey Grammer. The uh, Prospector. Prospector. Not constable, because that would be more toward 
Woody. Anyway, and then the third one, there's the that bear. The bear. Yep, exactly. Uh, but in this one, no, she had a very specific purpose, and it wasn't. <laughs> and it wasn't completely. It wasn't even completely selfish. She did want that for her life. Yeah. But mainly, she she felt like she had love in her that she needed to give, give. and she hadn't had the opportunity to give it yet. Right. And so, in a sense, what I think one of the things about storytelling is that you have this theme, and then you have the flip side. So for Woody, he came off perfect. He had his voice box voice box working. He's still in good condition. Where she was discarded because. Her voice box didn't work so she never got to live the life that woody lived mm. but she still came from the same place to be there for the kid right right um so on the flip side of that so let's say what if woody's voice box didn't work and he never had the chance to do whatever he needed to do to be there for the kid and he was shelved um so for her we get to see that in action so and i think they realize they would be the same person, person in reverse yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. although i'm now wondering if Woody had not said, I don't want to give you my voice box, would they have just ripped it out of him already? Anyway, because they had... They had I think of... she would have initially, but I think by the time they reunite, she's talked to Forky all those times, and I think I think that she grew a little bit. I think she would have, because she was desperate. And then after she had all that time with Forky, and Forky talking about Woody and his experience with him, I think she really probably would have respected his wishes if he refused. You think? I do. I mean... I mean, I, I'm not saying that she wouldn't, but in other movies where they do the same thing, where somehow the antagonist gets the uh, the dirt on the protagonist, um, they still use it against them, uh, or at least use it as a tactic to sway the protagonist. Sure. And then if that doesn't work, they just the default is to knock them out and then harvest the organ anyway. <laughs> and then you go into the scene where now no matter what the movie's about, the default is to knock them out and harvest their organs. Right. <laughs> It's like another James Bond thing, you know? It's like suddenly they're they're right there trying to be... I don't know if it's a James Bond thing. But I know I've seen it in a James Bond movie. I can't really remember which one. Yeah, the antagonist is just trying to convince the protagonist to join their side. And the protagonist declines and then they get knocked out. And then somehow they have to escape from this... I think that no matter what, uh, what James Bond movie you're talking about, it's still probably a, a less well-written character than than these characters are right my point being is that in the established like cinematic language right usually that's what happens and i'm kind of and i'm glad that it didn't because it gave more of an angle for these characters so yeah but it does make me wonder what if he said no i'm keeping my voice box (laughs) my child needs this voice box (laughs) you don't have one well i don't know there's a lot about this movie but Let's give our final thoughts, maybe. Are you good? Sure. We didn't do changes, but we did kind of try. We did talk about what we didn't like. And yeah, see, so that's what of it, I, I, I changed that change. aspect. Because yeah. there's really, I mean, yeah, touching on that subject, I don't think there's really much of anything yeah, that would change. Yeah, me either. Um, so final thoughts. <laughs> final thoughts. I would love to see more children's movie movies like this. Granted, I'm not a child, although that's arguable. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think there's just so much. It can be appreciated by the whole gamut of audience members. Uh, you've got your older audience members and the younger ones. I would love to see more of this. It's... Yeah, it's an incredibly made f- film regardless of it being a kid movie or not, which I think is kind of what you're getting at, which is just you'd like to see more movies like this, and it's just proof that 
a, an affecting movie that has you can draw a really a good connection with and be entertained by doesn't have to be this hoity-toity thing or this violent thing or this gross thing it you can find emotions at any level and you can deliver them as well as just laughs which is an emotion (laughs) (laughs) a pretty damn good movie yeah well i think that that's about it for the podcast today we are going to try a new thing where we give our trademark synopsis like we do at the beginning of each film where they're kind of comical and really actually pretty bad descriptions of what happens in the movie and we invite our listeners to try to guess what we're talking about. So I'm going to synopsize another animated film, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. And so if you have an idea, please comment on SoundCloud or Facebook or really anywhere that you can find comments, the website even, characterarc.net. So my bad description of a plot of another animated film is, A pale dude discovers a culture that has existed for thousands of years, brings it back to his people, and totally fucks it up. So if you know what I'm talking about, yes, it's a kid's movie, (laughs) Uh, please comment. Uh, And on that note, you can find us on characterarc.net. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Um, You can subscribe to our podcast pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast now. That includes Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. We've got some more things coming up, but we hope to see you next week. Hope to see you guys next week. Thank you.